Hey, Rewatchers. Welcome to another episode of the Highlander Rewatched Podcast. And we have a very special treat for you this week. We've been given permission to release the famed Adrian tapes, which were produced uh, in the years 1995 and 1996 for the Highlander catalog. So what are these Adrian tapes? In a lot of ways, these are almost like DVD commentary tracks before there were DVDs. This is a really cool supplemental material to go alongside the TV show. And it's really cool that Davis Panzer produced these with Adrian. I've actually personally never seen anything quite like this done for a TV show. And I think it's a really unique behind-the-scenes look that they were able to give the fans in 1995. This week, we are going to be featuring the very first Adrian tape, Band of Brothers, and this is for season one, and this is the first Adrian tape, and we're going to be playing Side A. Also, for our younger listeners who might not know what a cassette tape is, <laughs> cassette tapes are a magnetically coded tape uh, that you would put in a cassette player, uh, kind of like a VHS tape, and you would play... Uh, usually music through them. Uh, these are It's a pretty old technology. I think it was invented in like the 20s, but became popular for music in the late 60s. Anyway, what we've done here at Highlander Rewatched is we were graciously given these tapes by one of our awesome fans. And over the past uh, couple months, we've remastered these tapes. For those of you that remember playing cassette tapes, they are kind of a tricky piece of media. Sometimes tape players would eat the tape or chew the tape, it would be called, where the tape would get wrinkled um, and cause kind of audio disruptions. Um, also, because of this technology, the speeds of tapes varied drastically. So even in these tapes, if Adrian decided to record on one cassette player, that might be playing at one speed. Then he would do another segment, maybe in the studio, and that cassette player would be playing at a different speed. And this causes, of course, issues with timing, and it causes issues with even the pitch of the vocal or music tracks. So here at Highlander Rewatch, we've been working tirelessly to clean up these tapes and bring them into the 21st century. For a lot of you out there, this might be your very first Highlander Rewatch podcast you listen to because maybe you've been intrigued by the Adrian tapes. Welcome to the podcast. For those of you who don't know what we do on this podcast, I, along with my two co-hosts, Kyle and Eamon, take an in-depth look at every facet of Highlander and discuss it in detail every single week. So that ranges from the TV show to the movies to the books, comics, and things like the Adrian tapes. Uh, usually we try to provide a humorous spin on our favorite 90s nostalgia show while also talking about how our opinions of the show has changed and what the commentary and moral questions of the show might be. We also encourage everyone to head on over to the Highlander Rewatched Facebook store or Etsy store. Just search Highlander Rewatched on Etsy and pick up a set of our awesome Highlander collectible magnet set, which features the characters from the show that you love. We've got Duncan, Amanda, Joe, Mythos, and a very cool Scottish Highlands warrior Duncan. All proceeds from those magnets go to making this podcast bigger and better and bringing you more and more free Highlander content each and every week. Also, we want to give a big shout out and thanks to the man himself, Adrian Paul. If you'd like to support Adrian's current efforts, make sure to head on over to the Peace Fund and donate to the Peace Fund today. And Peace stands for Protect, Educate, Aid, Children Every Day. And the work Adrian's doing there is really fantastic and you should donate to it. Also, if you'd like to do something more fun with Adrian Paul, make sure to head on over to the Sword Experience and sign up for one of his many awesome sword experiences. Rewatcher Kyle and I recently did the sword experience at the Highlander Worldwide Gathering in Los Angeles, and it was fantastic. So check the website, and if the sword experience is coming to your town, sign up today. It's worth it, and it's quite a workout, too. 
Thanks again for tuning in this week. And this week, again, we are featuring the very first Adrian Tape. We are going to be playing Side A of Tape 1, Season 1, Band of Brothers, where Adrian Paul goes in-depth on what it was like to work on this episode. And we are going to be featuring the Adrian Tapes every few weeks on our podcast. So stay tuned for the entire six-cassette set. So without further ado, here's Tape 1 of the Adrian Tapes, Band of Brothers. Darius was once one of the great generals. Grayson was his second in command. 1,500 years ago, Darius could have led his armies across Europe and ruled for a 1,000 years. But he turned his armies back. Grayson felt betrayed and never forgave him. Darius, ever since, has tried from holy ground to be a peacemaker. I am Duncan MacLeod of the Clan MacLeod. I am Darius. You won't need that. The hatred's just run too deep here. Maybe it'll be different in the new world. I would not rob you of that hope. Goodbye, Darius. Goodbye, Duncan McLeod. Peace be with you. In many ways, uh, Band of Brothers had some amazing aspects in it for me. It was the show that uh, the audience saw Werner Stocker for the first time, who played Darius, who became a very popular character, as you all know. And I remember the day he actually came on set as if it was yesterday, because this day two for me was an extraordinary day in many, many different ways. We were up on Mount Seymour in Vancouver, and it started out a sunny but, you know, brisk morning at six o'clock in the morning uh, on top of this mountain. We'd gotten there early so that we could get ready for the battle scene because we were doing the battle scene in 1815 where I first meet Darius. And we had to try on the costumes and get ready. But by 8 o'clock, clouds had started forming and I met Werner and uh, we talked a little bit. But also I met all the German photographers and the journalists that had accompanied him and uh, suddenly realized he was quite a name in Germany. You know, he'd, he'd made a name for himself. And uh, they wanted to see how he was going to uh, do on Highlander, and this was his first time filming, so they were all accompanying him here, and they were all wearing you know, nice thin clothes on top of a mountain, which was a very smart idea. But by the time we started rehearsing, the first snow started to fall, and fall it did, because it just kept on snowing and snowing and snowing. And by the time we were doing take after take, I noticed the, the poor extras laying on the floor, some of them getting covered by snow in between takes, and you'd fall over them or not notice where they were, and suddenly this pile of snow would move. You know, they must have been freezing. Well, we finished that scene just after lunch, but by this time, there was a foot of snow everywhere. The funny thing was, the weather was working with us although it didn't seem it at the time. It rained one day, snowed the day after, was sunny the next, which normally would give a production company a headache. However, we were lucky because the conditions created different seasonal looks for the past and the present. The other scene that we shot on the mountain that day was the training session between McLeod and Ritchie. Figuring McLeod would want a different training method, Bob Anderson came up with the idea of a revolving log that Mac would jump over whilst Richie spun it around. During rehearsals, Stan decided to reverse the direction of the log, which caught me off guard and cracked me on the leg. This made him laugh and my leg ache, but I said to him, we should keep it in. 
However, I think he was having a little too much fun doing it. And? makes this Grayson guy so different from the others? He's 1,400 years older than I am. He's one of the few ancient immortals left. You don't, he's been a warlord most of that time. You don't just go up to him with your sword and say, on God, fool. <laughs> Come here. Come here. <laughs> on this show, we also had a new director. A Frenchman named René Manzor, whose style, I believe, was basically to create havoc wherever he went. René was very precise about every single word that was said. Um, he would say something and, and say, well, I want it said this way. Um, and I'd say, okay. And I'd think about it and I'd say, yeah, okay, how would MacLeod interpret that? And that's sort of how I'd do it. But when he got over to Alex and Stan, well, that was another thing. I, I noticed the way Alex worked, and I noticed the way Stan worked. Stan was very liberal with how he did things. He was very ad-libish. He always ad-lib stuff, and it was uh, a little harder for him to actually give a line reading as such. Um, Stan had to sort of adopt himself with that, so his technique wasn't as strong, so he didn't wasn't quite sure how to do that. And this was apparent in the scene where I was giving him a ticket to go off to Paris. Can I just ask you one question, Tess? Why are you going to Paris now? I would only distract Duncan. He'll think more clearly if I'm not around. Yeah, well, you should be more worried about you being in Paris all alone with all those French dudes. That's why you're going with her. Keep it from all those French dudes. It's for me. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I'm going to Paris. Mm -hmm. Now. Mm -hmm. Like today. Like today. <laughs> Stay in it. Stay in it. Keep going. Keep going. Give me a ticket again. Yeah, well, he should be more... He should be more worried about you being alone in Paris with all those French dudes. That's why you're going with her. To protect her from all those... French dudes. What's this? Let's take it to Paris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't do this right now. I'm sorry. You're perfect. You're In the end, the uh, producers, when they saw the dailies, they told Renee, back off the actors, because you can't tell an actor how to read a line, because it then suddenly makes the rest of their performances very stilted. The other things that uh, were interesting for me on... Um, Band of Brothers were the fights. By the time this last show happened in Vancouver, I wanted it to be a little bit more spectacular than normal because we were transversing from one period to another. But as you normally happens when we do things like this, we never always had a lot of time to rehearse stuff. The first fight that we did was the one that was below in the boiler room. The special thing about this fight for me was it only took an hour and a half to two hours to rehearse the entire fight, and it actually was taken in one shot. It was two cameras, one shot, three angles. So it wasn't stopping for camera cuts in between or repositioning, just doing one section of it. We did the entire fight with three guys for whatever, however long it took, 40 seconds or whatever, for, you know, somewhere in the region of about 
five, six times, but by the time you multiply that with all the energy that's put in that, plus having done it already another 30, 40 times in rehearsal, I ended up being about five or six hours in training that particular day. So it was special. And when I saw it and it worked very well, I was really proud of, of that particular fight because I thought it, it flowed very well. So I guess Renee had a, a good... Uh, eye for that type of thing instead of actually chopping it up which a lot of fights do and you don't see the action the second fight was the sword fight and that was an event in itself as i said it snowed up on the mountain before and um now it rained and it rained for 12 hours from the minute we got there to the minute we left it was also shot at a sulfur pit and as you probably know, sulfur doesn't smell too good. So on top of that, it didn't make the conditions that we were shooting in very pleasant to work with. And the way they shot it was that they shot the beginning, the first meeting of Grayson and McLeod, the very first few blows, and the end, the quickening. The reason they did that was because the quickening cost a lot of money. If they never got the quickening shot correctly, then they would have lost a lot of money. Whereas the fight, they could cut down if they overran the quickening and therefore have a shorter fight but with a spectacular end. So what that meant was that we started the day off with the beginning of the fight and the end of the fight. And the problem with that was, obviously, is that you don't know what happens in the middle. I figured that basically we were going to get cut up a lot because it was supposed to be a very physical fight. So when we got to the part of shooting the quickening, it started off with rolling down the sulfur hill. And I was supposed to have my hair disheveled and cut and bled and in a terrible state. So we had to figure this out. So in the meantime, while it was raining, we were trying to rehearse the fight. And the makeup and wardrobe were also trying to do their job. So can you imagine trying to do a sword fight underneath umbrellas and having a, a, a makeup woman in your face and, and the wardrobe woman below your arm while you're trying to do a sword fight up above? It was quite amusing. Anyway, by the time we got around to lunchtime, which was, again, another famous Renee Manzor five hours into shooting, we'd done the quickening. Now we had the entire fight to shoot in about another four or five hours, which consisted of, as we choreographed it, a whole bunch of numbers going up this metal scaffolding to the top of the uh, sulfur machinery, stunts falling down, going up a conveyor belt, jumping off the conveyor belt and rolling down a hill to where we ended the quickening. Well, as you know, we cut some of that stuff because we didn't have enough time to actually do it. The stunt guys were only able to do one of the stunts. And as the time went on, Rene was trying to design these shots that were unnecessary a couple of times. It again caused us a, a, a few times of taking a long time to do a shot, which wasn't really necessary. And at the end, we were really, really losing time to be able to connect the fight to where we had rolled down to do the quickening. So James and myself said, we'll do the run up the conveyor belt, which was quite dangerous because it was a 15 foot drop either side on a small platform. The interesting point about this particular part of the fight was he decided to do two close-ups. I said, it's very important to do two close-ups here because it looks like this is where Grayson gets McLeod. So we did the close-ups on top, and then we did the run-up the top of the uh, conveyor belt. And he had three cameras going, two to three cameras going on the wide. And I looked at James and I said to him, listen, I'm going to jump off at the end of it, and I'm gonna, then going to roll down a hill. Just follow me. He said, you're nuts. I said, well, it's the only way we're going to get this. We have one shot to do this in, and we either roll down or they don't connect the two pieces of the fight. So the cameras rolled. And he came at me, and I'm laying on my back on the conveyor belt, and he disarms me. 
And as he disarmed me, the, the sword went flying, and I didn't know where it went. But I knew it went close to where the people were filming the, the fight. At the end, I jumped off, and I rolled down the hill, and he started coming down with me. So, actually, Rene got the shots connected. When I looked back up again, the sword had flown out. And when you look in television movies, it flies out and lands and sways in the dirt. Well, it had done exactly that, three feet from the front of the camera. I would never have believed that a sword would go flying out of somebody's hand, go 20 to 30 feet in the air, spiral several times, and land with a point down and sway as it does in the movies. Well, trust me, I believe it now. I guess the one thing when looking back on this particular show is that I realized that through a mixture of Mother Nature's errors, the stress factor, eased by a sense of practical jokes and a lot of hard work, we developed what I think was probably one of the first true Highlander episodes in its feel, its camera moves, and its story content. Rewatchers, what a blast from the past. That tape was a ton of fun, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcasting app. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. If you want more Highlander content like this delivered right to your phone every single week for free. Thanks again for listening, and we've got more Adrian tapes, more episode recaps, and more of your favorite Highlander content to come. I've been one of your rewatchers. I'm Keith. See you next week. Bye.